Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The question we're asking during the Advent is how can our hearts be prepared to receive Christ for who He really is? What must happen to a human heart so that we will welcome the biblical Christ? Today's text, Luke 16, gives a third part of the answer. I want you to see not only the parable that Rick just read, but also the first parable in the chapter, if you'll move back to the beginning. This is a chapter about money. Just a few dangling verses in the middle that puzzle me as to why they're there, but the chapter as a whole has to do with money. Jesus is talking to Pharisees. Look at verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they scoffed at him. Now, why were they scoffing? He had just told them a parable in which there was this shrewd, dishonest steward who used money in a way to provide for his future. The lesson that Jesus draws out of it is that Christians ought to be shrewd with their money and use it in a way to provide for their eternal future. And it's a very shocking point that he makes here, namely, how you use your money will make or break your eternal destiny. If you use your money in order to advance the cause of the gospel, meeting needs, providing hope, what you have done will provide a habitation into which you will be welcomed in the age to come. 
Whereas if you use your money selfishly, just to pad your house with more cushions of luxury while neglecting the needs that you can reach, you will prove unfaithful and get no eternal riches. You can see that in verse 11, for example, where he says, If then you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, that's money, who will entrust you with true riches? That's heaven. The answer is nobody will. Money that you have in your bank and in your pocket is a test run to see whether or not you are a citizen of heaven. If you use that money faithfully, as verse 11 says, that is, out of faith, providing the needs of others instead of hoarding luxuries for yourself, then you will be given true riches because you will have been proved worthy to enjoy the benefits of heaven because you've lived for that kind of benefit on earth rather than living for things. However, if on the other hand you prove faithless and money is your God and the things it can buy are what bring you joy, you will prove unfit to have the riches of heaven and you will not have an eternity with God. What you do with your money makes or breaks your eternal destiny. Now, the Pharisees were listening to this, and they were lovers of money. So what did they do? They scoffed at him. Why? Verse 15 says, because they were trying to justify themselves. This always happens. Here is a raw nerve of greed and covetousness. Jesus peels away the skin, exposes the nerve. They feel his finger on their nerve. They've got two choices, repentance or self-defense. And the best self-defense when somebody has fingered you is to make them look like a fool. And they do. They scoff at him. And we'll come back in just a minute to find out what sort of thing they said to make Jesus look like a fool when he had fingered their greed. Now we're on to something here in answer to our Advent question. The Advent question is, what must happen to a human heart so that it will welcome and receive Christ for who he really is in all of his radical financial ideas? And the answer is, from verse 14, our hearts are going to have to be freed from the love of money. Otherwise, we'll do just what the Pharisees did when he comes to us as he really is and we feel the, the finger on the nerve of our greed, we will push him away. We'll scoff at him. We'll distort his teaching, will somehow manipulate him to get him off our case. We will not receive him as he is. Why? The love of money. Now, let's check this out to see whether or not we're on to the track of the, the writer, Luke, and Jesus, the speaker of these parables. Let's go to the second one that Rick read for us in verses 19 to 31. Here's a rich man in verse 19. Lots of money, a nice house, he clothes himself with purple and he puts a feast on the table every day and walks in and out 
doing his business, living in luxury. Next verse, verse 20, we meet a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores from top to bottom, like Job. And it's so bad, nobody helps but dogs licking his wounds. All he wants, it says, is crumbs. The garbage that they throw out, he would he would be glad to eat. And then comes the inexorable in verse 22. It'll come to you. It'll come to me. They both die. The rich die. The poor die. And his money didn't mean anything when he died. The rich man goes to hell. The poor man goes to paradise. The one is in torment. The other is in consolation. Then comes verse 24. The rich man in hell cries out, Father Abraham. Now that's remarkable. It, it took me up short when I first read it. He's a Jew. Abraham is his father. He's part of the covenant community. And he's in hell. His Jewishness didn't save him. What did John the Baptist say to people like this? You remember? Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. God can raise up from these stones, children, to Abraham, bear fruit worthy of repentance. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Bear fruit worthy of repentance, lest you be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, that's exactly what happened in this parable. He didn't bear fruit worthy of repentance. He boasted in his childhood of Abraham and he went to fire. So this parable is just an unfolding of the consequences of disobeying the teaching of John the Baptist. And at the end of those words, John the Baptist said in chapter 3, verse 10, let him who has two coats give to him who has none. Simply a preface to this parable. What do you suppose then, in view of this, the Pharisees back in verse 14 said when they scoffed at Jesus to protect themselves against his indictment. I think they said this. You don't understand the nature of the covenant people. We have Abraham as our father. You can't tell us that the way we use our money will determine our eternal destiny. We are the chosen people. Our eternal destiny is secure. People, you don't have to listen to this Jesus. He's off the wall. He doesn't understand the Old Testament. I think that's what they said. Now, what's the contemporary counterpart? to that in the church today. The contemporary counterpart to that in the church today is people who say, I'm a Christian. 
I am justified by faith alone. I am eternally secure. Don't you tell me that the way I use my money will determine my eternal destiny and call my security into question. That's what the Pharisees would say in the church today. And the answer to that contemporary form of cheap grace is very simple. The faith which justifies purifies. Can you say that? That's a profound theological statement which will solve many problems for you. The faith which justifies purifies from the love of money. So it is no contradiction of justification by faith alone when I stand here and say the way you professing Christians use your money will determine your eternal destiny. No contradiction at all. Simply because the way you use your money shows whether you are the kind of person who delights in the things of heaven so that you're fit to go there or whether you delight in the things of the earth so that you're unfit to go there. And there's no legalism in it at all. In hell, the rich man pleads for mercy and Abraham responds in verse 25, Son, Remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. What's the meaning of that verse? I think it goes something like this. If you use your money in this life to pad your self with luxuries and are indifferent to the advancement of the gospel and the meeting of needs, then earth will be the length of your heaven and eternity will be the length of your hell. But if on earth you use your money not to increase your luxuries, but to do works of love, then no matter how many sores are on your body, earth will be the extent of your hell and eternity will be the extent of your heaven. That's the meaning of verse 25. And then comes the sealing word in verse 26. Besides all this, besides the fact that your love for money and your lovelessness towards Lazarus has caused you to go to hell. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. There is no way out. This is not purgatory. There is no purgatory. The bed we make, we will sleep in forever. 
and the sheets are made of money. Now, this doesn't mean that you can use your money to buy a place in heaven. It doesn't mean that you use your money to earn anything from God. That would be legalism. That would be salvation by works. All it means is the way you use your money reveals whether your heart serves one master or the other. Loves things or loves God. Delights in luxury or delights in love. You show whether you are a saint by the way you use your money. Using your money doesn't buy anything from anybody. It's all God's already. The rich man now asks if he would send Lazarus to his brother's to warn them about the danger of this place. Evidently, he knew that his brothers were living just like he was, and they were doomed. They probably lived together. Evidently, none of them were married. So they were all walking by these poor people, not doing a thing, increasing their luxuries all the time. And so he says, uh, send Lazarus to my brothers. Warn them. And Abraham answers in verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now, that's an amazing answer. Because it means the first two-thirds of this Bible have enough in it to convict and to prove that love is the way you ought to live and judgment comes if you don't love. That's all you need. It's right here. Tell them to go read their Bible. That's what Abraham said. Tell your brothers to read the Bible. But, of course, the rich man knows that they have their devotions every morning for ten minutes and they go to synagogue on Saturday and and their whole mindset regarding their money doesn't come from this book. They put in their, their few minutes a day for religious feelings Get the guilt off their back a little bit, maybe. And then they open their money magazines and their newspapers and their televisions and they get their mindset about money from another place. And so he says, look, it won't work to tell them to read the Bible. They got to have a miracle. Raise somebody from the dead. Raise Lazarus from the dead. Then they'll change. They'll stop loving money. They'll start loving you. Just send them somebody from the dead. Abraham says, If they don't hear Moses, verse 31, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced If someone should rise from the dead, that's incredible. The power of this book to convict of sin and to change hearts is as great as the appearance of Lazarus from the dead. Just read John 11. Right? 
They plotted to kill Jesus because He raised a man from the dead. These brothers are far gone, evidently. Here we have the same point then in the last parable that we did in the first. Luke wants us to suppose that Jesus rises from the dead. Goes to a group of five brothers like these brothers. What would they do? Would they receive Him as He is with all His strange ideas about money? No. Why? Because they wouldn't change when they read Moses and the prophets. They love their money. People who love money cannot receive Christ as He is. They can mold Him into one who will endorse their wealth and luxury. It's all over the place. But they cannot receive Jesus of Luke 16. The real Jesus. Either dead, alive, or risen from the dead. Because they love their money. So let's sum up now what we've seen in these two parables. It's the same point in both. I hope it's crystal clear. The first parable said, Be shrewd with your money. Whether you have a little bit of money, which some of you only have, whether you have a lot of money, which some of you have, be shrewd with it. Not shrewd the way the world defines shrewdness. No way. Shrewd the way Jesus defines shrewdness. That is, lay up treasures in heaven. Give alms. Chapter 12, verse 33. Meet the needs of Lazarus's. Prepare habitations in heaven by supporting the cause of the gospel to penetrate more and more people who don't have anything to hope for while we pad our houses with more and more things. And if you don't, verse 11 says, there's no reason you should expect that you would have riches in heaven. That's parable number one. The Pharisees hear it. They're fingered in their greed. And they defend themselves with mockery. You don't know what you're talking about. We're secure. We are children of Abraham. And we are going to the blessed bosom of Abraham when we die. Why wouldn't they receive him? When he spoke the truth, because they loved money. Verse 14. Second parable, there's a rich man and a poor man. The rich man is oblivious to the misery of this poor man at his door. He goes out to buy his purple clothes. He comes in to eat at his feast and he dies and goes to hell. And all his brothers left behind open their Bibles or unroll their scrolls and read their religious words 
and love their money still. And the parable says, look, Lazarus could rise from the dead. Jesus could rise from the dead. Everybody could rise from the dead. And they will love their money still. Why don't they receive Jesus as He is when He rises? Because they love their money. So here's answer number three in our Advent question. What needs to happen to my heart so that I will welcome and enjoy and experience the fullness of Christ for who He really is? Answer, I must be freed. I must be delivered from the shackles of the love of money and things. Especially at Advent season when Christmas is coming on and everybody is giving the opposite message. Well, what should we do? What can you do? You can take the advice of Abraham in verse 29. He says to John Piper and Rick Stapleton and all the folks gathered in the sanctuary, They have Moses. They have the prophets. Let them hear them. That's the admonition to us this morning. We need to just stop and listen to Moses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18. Listen to Moses. And we should listen to the words of the prophets. Let the wise man not glory in his wisdom. Let the mighty man not glory in his might. Let the rich man not glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he knows me, the living and true God, For I work mercy, justice, righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. Listen to Jeremiah. Doesn't that open your heart to want to be free from the love of money? Isn't the Word of God powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword as I speak it to you right now? Doesn't it cut away the calluses that have made you want that extra thing that you don't need at all, that have caused you not to follow through with your tithing this year? Don't you hear the Word of the living God? And shouldn't we open our ears to the apostles I brought nothing into this world and I will take nothing out of this world. The love of money is the root of all evils. And by this craving, some have gone away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and all kinds of hurtful desires that destroy men's souls. 1 Timothy 6, 7-10 Hear 
the Word of God. If this Word does not take away your love of money, neither will a resurrection from the dead. Shall we stand to pray? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, I beg of you, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would open the eyes of our hearts and the ears of our hearts to see your surpassing worth and to hear the word of Moses, the word of Jeremiah, the word of the Apostle Paul. And may it be effectual to change our hearts by liberating us from the love of money and the love of things that we might receive you and enjoy you and be with you for who you really are. In his great and powerful name, Amen.